everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Mechanics. I'm Katie, and with me, as always, is... Hey, everybody, what's going on? It is Jason. My partner in crime. That's true. I try not to do a lot of crime, though. Yeah. You're more of a, like, cape crusader kind of <laughs> person. I'm, li- I'm like the, bo- the boy wonder. Mm. I don't know that I'm like Batman. I'm more like Alfred. Yeah, that's true. Or Catwoman. No, I don't want to be the boy wonder. He's lame. I'll be bad girl. <laughs> she's got a, her own bat cycle. I, mean, I know. She's awesome. And she, she actually does her own car. She actually does a real disguise because she adds hair that's not her own onto her costume. So people think that she has red hair. Like Batman barely disguises himself. What are you talking about? He has the exact same voice and he has the exact same mannerisms as Bruce Wayne. Come on. That's a great disguise. Oh. <laughs> well, I guess that's the Adam West one. It's in the new one, he talks like this. Right. So then. So you never know who he is. Maybe he learned. I guess Batman actually learned. <laughs> from, maybe, yeah. From previous Batman. Hey, change your voice a little bit if you're going to talk to the commissioner on a regular. That's true. That is true. Oh, goodness. I mean, we could we could start a whole podcast about Adam West, Burt Ward, Batman. We could just break down all the episodes. Oh, man, that would be a fun podcast. I'd have a good time with that. Talk about the reasons why, which, which Catwoman is best, who's the best villain, what's the best plot to actually take over Gotham City. Surfing competition. It is not best a surfing villain. competition, number one. Let me tell you that right now. <laughs> best villain, Egghead. No way. It's Catwoman. Julie Newmark. Egghead. Catwoman. Vincent Price. Come on, classic. I'm going to hatch a dinosaur egg? Like, wh- how is that a good plan? It's not. I didn't say he had good plans. I said he was a, the best b- villain. Well, King Tut has the best plans because he figured out where the... Uh, Batcave wasn't who Batman Bat really Cave is. Batcave was. And then he forgot because that happens. Anyway, that's 1960s Batman, the podcast in the podcast. Maybe we should move on to actually talking about games. <laughs> Probably a good idea. I mean, to be fair, we do have a Batman game or two, actually. We have two, yeah. No, three. We have three. Yep, it's true. Oh, we do have three. Mm, whole other podcast right there. So let's talk about some news, crowdfunding, Kickstarter, and you actually have a contribution today. I do. I'm, I'm trying to, to switch it up a little bit. You know, I don't I don't want to get in that rut where we do the same thing all the time. Yes, you I mean, do. I do. <laughs> I do, but I'm, I'm trying to get myself out of that uh that groove, so... Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about is it was just announced today, as of the day of recording, so April 13, that Stonemeyer Games is releasing an, a new expansion for Viticulture, and it's a cooperative expansion. It's called Viticulture World Cooperative Expansion. Now, not a ton of details. Um, I do know that it's not designed by Jamie. It's designed by two other people, and their names are Mahir Shah and Francesco Testini. And the artist from Andrew Bosley, so that should look good. It's going to have a new board, new tiles, new event cards, and everyone's working together to try to get to a certain score before six years, which I'm assuming is rounds, are completed. So that that's it. One to six players, um, and they're supposed to start shipping mid June. Wow. Pre-orders open in June, so it's it's it, it's, it's it's imminent. Ready to go. It's ready to go. Yep. Um, I mean, I'd give it a try, but. To be honest, I I just like regular viticulture so much. Yeah, and I, I read some stuff that people were, were worried because most of the time when you take a competitive board game and turn it into cooperative, it feels like tacked on. Like it's not yeah. not normal because it's not supposed to be a cooperative game. So 
Yeah, I don't know. I, and I don't love cooperative anyway, but yeah, I would try it. I mean, it's probably going to look good because it's Andrew Bosley, at least. Right. Well, and I th- I think that the concept of, okay, we all are all working together to make a great, you know, vineyard is cool. I, um... Yeah, th- I mean, that's true. That's true. Because all the winemaking games are competitive. Right. So it'd be nice to not have to compete against each other for once. <laughs> and maybe like work against the things that are detrimental to, you know, a, a vineyard, like competition. Bull weevils. Bull weevils. Are they... I don't think they attack <laughs> grapevines. I, I don't know. Not only you Maybe. don't know geography, you also do not know anything <laughs> about agriculture. I know bull weevil's a bug, though, huh? What do you think about that? G- good job. You also know it's a song. That's actually the, your whole reference point. <laughs> That's true. I was thinking that in my head when I said it. I know it. I know you. Now, I think there are other things that are problematic to grapevines. Also, drought could be a problem. I guess. Because I think bull weevils actually are bad for cotton. But that's just off the top of my head without any research. Also, cotton's not a product around here, so I don't know as much about it as, like, corn or soybeans. I don't know anything about it. I just know bull weevil, and I wanted to say it. I know. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to move on to some other news. That's interesting. Thanks, Jamie. We'll keep an eye on it. That was interesting. It was. The bull weevil comment, not. (laughs) Yes, it was. Uh, the next game you're probably going to laugh at now that you've got <laughs> but it's okay this next game the game I want to talk about from Kickstarter I've got two today and one I'm super interested interested in and the other one I'm not um, but everyone else will be but this first one is the most adorable looking thing I've seen in a while and it's called the big pig game what is the big pig game you ask well this is actually a cooperative game one of four people um but very family friendly. You are trying. The humans have left the house, and they're actually part. Them returning to the house is part of the timing track for the game. And you and whoever you're playing with are trying to eat all the food before they come back. Nice. I'm down. I like this game. It's so cute. So there's like different. There's different boards. There's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and everyone gets like a player board with like. F- different types of food on it um and like breakfast is like the easiest so it's an earlier one and then like dinner is the most difficult which i think is so interesting so you have a player you everybody has a player board um and you get four actions in a round and you show which actions you're taking by using these little donuts to mark them which is so cute (laughs) i mean it's just basically the most adorable thing i've ever seen so you've got like four different foods that you're eating at at each meal and they even have foods each food has some like a category there's savory sweet um and healthy and i think also spicy i think spicy is a dinner food and those actually matter because there's bonuses based on the food category so you also get cards that are actions that allow you to do different things you can encourage other people that are playing with you so that's kind of giving them little boosts you can use the cards to boost up your thing. But the player boards, when you first start, you take all of these little squares that are laid out in a grid across the food that makes up the picture of the food. And each of them has a different value. And so you use how hungry you are, your character is, it's hunger, plus any cards that may give you additional hunger to um, take that much value of the food off of the board when you choose like the, it's called the munch action. Um, so you can munch, you can get 
different um, like item cards to help you like forks and party hats and breakfast trays. Um, And you can encourage other people in their eating as well. There's bonus cards that happen, but there's also very, there's bad things that happen. Um, Like maybe um, the pig tried the tablecloth trick. And so it upset everything and you have to discard at least one item in play. They also came to make it a little more difficult. They have another set of cards that you can replace the bad things with that are called very bad things. And they're just a little bit harder, make the game a little bit harder, which I think is cute to take like a really simple game, but have the ability like I think our daughter, youngest daughter would love to play this. Even our oldest daughter would love to play this um, because it's just wholesome and cute and like all even the characters you can be like this adorable little yeti or this rich penguin or this little cute elephant that wears a cape and adorable it's a little cow oh they're so cute so you're playing these cards you've got four actions to munch to take cards to encourage other people um and then at the end of every round the car with the humans is moving closer but you're trying to get your munch value to take out to clean all the food off everyone's plates it, adorable. It's just adorable. Now, the interesting thing is um, when you lay out these little tiles for each food, there are different numbers. And so like the harder ones, like at dinner, there's a lot of tiles that are like really high numbers, like 10 and 16. Like on this, I think there's a ch- chili, five alarm five chili that's really has a lot of high numbers. If you don't have, you can take the munch action, but if you can't get enough hunger, you can't take anything off that board. So you're kind of stuck. So that's where you can help encourage um, other players, use your cards, items to help each other out so that you, it takes everybody to win. I I love it. Hedgie, Big Pig, those are all your characters. So adorable. This is so freaking cute. Just so cute. So if you are interested in the Big Pig game, you want family games, you like games with adorable artwork, um, check this one out. There's six days left on the Kickstarter and it's 45 bucks. It does look adorable. I was looking at the pictures while you were talking. But man, that seems like a lot of money for that game. I, I know. I almost, there's like a, a little $15 pledge. It's a goodie pack. You get two sticker sheets and some fridge magnets. Yeah, I saw that. I kind of just want that. <laughs> I gotta be honest. Where's this from? Is this from like uh, like another country or is it? No, it's America. Oh. People in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, that's why. I don't know. All right. Evans Games, I think, is the... I just assumed it was like, it had like art of like an Asian game. It does. So I just it's, assumed it was an Asian game. Because it's so adorable. Like it, it's just the cutest like, thing ever. It kind of reminds, some of the art reminded me of like Pusheen or something. Yes. Yes. That's how adorable we're talking, people. If you don't know who Pusheen is, look it up. Or just look up this Kickstarter because they've also have like little animations of all the artwork on the Kickstarter and it's just so adorable. I've just been watching this little Yeti like wave at me for the past 10 minutes that we've been sitting here because he's so cute. Oh my gosh. Anyway, check out the Big Pig game. This next game, um, definitely not as fun, silly or adorable as Big Pig game, but that's probably because it's a more serious game. But I think a lot of people like it. Um, and that game is called Silicon Valley. This is actually, um, this is from Girl Games. And uh, this is the designer is Scott Alms, who is of Almanac and the Tiny tiny Epic Games. Yeah. And Harbor. And Harbor. Um, but this game, Silicon Valley, is where you kind of have a Silicon Valley startup. And 
they're saying it is a an economic meets polyomino game. So automatically, I'm like, this is everything I really hate. But I could see a lot of our group members liking it. So on your turn, you've got you can take three actions. So there's seven available, and you're doing them to really help to work on your company. So you can you're going to hire employees, and the employees actually come with some polyomino pieces, and they're um, these little what do you call them? What did they call them? I don't remember. blocks of code. So they come with blocks of code because they've got their own you know knowledge and stuff. So you get you can get employees, you can, you know, you have an HQ that you want to expand that allows you to put employees in there and launch products. But again, you're upkeeping the HQ, you're um, paying salary to the employees, you obviously are going to get funding. So you got to get some investors um, who are going to give you money and also like perks to play with you if if your employees don't bring you the right polyominoes maybe that you need you can outsource and get them you got to pay for it and so then what you use with those polyominoes is you're going to launch products and the products then have a particular um, layout that you need to get with your polyominoes in order to launch the products which i think is really cool really interesting um but I don't like polyamnos. But some of you might. So this has um, almost the way it looks in some ways. It reminds me of tiny towns where you've got a card that has a specific layout and you're trying to mimic that. And that's what you're doing to get these products out. And then you even have to think about like, do I want to sunset a product? And it's like really more expensive to make it and I don't want to keep it. So we want to start some new ones. Um, and then at some point you may have to do some layoffs because you know, your company gets more value, but that means your employees, you know, they want some more money now and you might have to get rid of them and get new polyominoes from new kinds of employees. So if you are interested in Silicon Valley, if you are like Scott Alms, if you like polyominoes in economic games, I'm sad for you, but you could check out Silicon Valley um, there's 10 days left on that Kickstarter and the base game is 30 bucks, which is pretty reasonable. Yeah, that's not bad. Like it sounds interesting, but man, I'm over polyominoes. This stuff's got to stop. Y- you know how I feel about it. Um, but I mean, I, I don't even hate it. It's just, can we do something else? Can we go back to worker placement? What happened to that? <laughs> like, well, this is mixing polyominoes with economics, which apparently is a new thing no one else has done before. That's true. I don't think I've heard of anything like that, so that's cool. And I mean, thirty bucks is a pretty good price point for what's an interesting kind of concept and theme. To me, right now, the production doesn't look super great. Um, unless well, I mean, unless you go does it, go to Lux and you get metal coins and like plastic code blocks, but it looks like a lot of really thin cards and stuff. But I don't know that. I didn't look at a ton of the. Um, I just am looking at pictures rather than videos, seeing what it's like when people handle them. So Right. And sometimes it's hard to tell on my prototype pictures and all that stuff. So Yes. But actually, I mean, price-wise, I feel like that's pretty good. And especially, like, this reminds me in some ways of smartphone, that kind of company-running, tech-based thing, um, which I enjoyed. And so if I was good at polyomnos, I would consider this. Um, so that's why I'm mentioning it for those of you that like polyomnos. Silicon Valley, 10 days. And that's cool. all I have for the news today. All right. So let's talk about some games that we played. And these are recent. So Katie should uh, remember, <laughs> remember them. these. Yeah, I, I have faith. I, I think it's possible. 
Uh, so the first one we're going to talk about is a game that I just got in a trade. And it's an old game. And it is called San Juan. And this is, it's marketed as the card game version of Puerto Rico. I haven't played Puerto Rico. It's the same designer. It has the same like goods and stuff, but I have no idea. And effectively what you're doing in this is you're trying to build buildings with these cards that are in your hand and produce goods. The interesting thing here is you're using cards as the buildings and you're also using cards as the money to pay for your buildings. The way the game works is someone's going to select an action. Everyone gets to take that action, but whoever selects it gets a, like a special bonus off of the action, except for one, which is the prospector. Only that person gets to draw a card. And then you're trying to race to get these production buildings in play, uh, sell goods on your production buildings to draw cards, and get 12 buildings built to score the most points to win the game. That's it. Deck of cards and some tiles. That's all this game has. Terrible graphic design. Gross art, so I love it. Um, but it's an interesting little card game, and I'm glad that we have it. It's it's pretty easy to play and teach, really. So I I think it, it'll be a good entry to like other games that do this, which... Roll for the Galaxy and Race for the Galaxy do this as well. But this did it first. So what did you think of San Juan? Um, I liked it. Yeah, it definitely simple. Honestly, it reminded me of maybe a little less complex version of London. Because oh, yeah. yeah, I can see that. You don't bit, have yeah. poverty, but you also are deciding what cards you're gonna play versus what cards you have to get rid of in order to pay for those. And then it also has that what you were talking about where one person chooses an action and everyone gets to take a form of that action. Um, I, I do think that that's kind of interesting as well. I like the idea of trying to build like a really strong tableau and then also find cards that are really worth investing in that can help you with some in-game points. Cause that's what I love. But I think there are a lot of different ways to approach um, getting points in this game, which I like and it's quick um, and, and fairly straightforward in how you play it. So yeah, I thought it was good. I'd play it again. Yeah, yeah, and all the cards, like, they say what they do on them, and there's only, like, five things that happen in the game. There's production, trading, building, and drawing cards, so that's it. So all the cards are going to, like, boost up one of those powers. Like, when you take the production, produce an extra one or something like that. So everything's pretty straightforward. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's kind of a good intro to, like, engine building, kind of, because all the you're trying to build buildings that work with stuff you want to do to help you build more buildings, and yeah, I dig it. All right, moving on from one game I do dig to one that uh, I played. And that I dig. that game is called <laughs> Search for Planet X. And this is, a, I believe it came out, I don't know if it came out this year. It might have come out last year. But it's a pretty new game, completely different from San Juan because that's an old game. And Search for Planet X is a deduction game where, guess what you're trying to do? Find Planet X. What? Huh? Huh? And the way that that works is, I mean, I'm probably not the best person to describe this because I got zero points, but... I did play it, so I know how it works. Uh, what you're trying to do is you're taking actions around this board, and you're doing like research and posing theories of things that are in these different sectors. And you're trying to find empty sectors. You're trying to find sectors of this, of the, of space that have like comets and gas clouds and asteroids and all that kind of stuff. And then you're going to be putting theories out on the board. Like if in, if I think in sector three there's a gas cloud, I'll take a turn and I'll put a gas cloud token face down on sector three. There'll be some like peer reviews that come up, and if I'm right, I'll score some points. And then ultimately, you're going to keep taking turns using time. It's got the Takedo thing where whoever's in the back gets to go first and all that kind of stuff. And then eventually, you're going to figure out where Planet X is through the deduction. Well, most people will. And then you'll type that into, type that into the app because it's an app-driven um, deduction game. And then if you're right, you score a pile of points. 
and maybe win, maybe not. If you, if a lot of people have done a lot of other theories, you may not win, but it's a good possibility. So deduction with an app, and um, yeah, that's it. So I, this game was fine. I, I liked it. I just I was terrible, I, and it's not. I don't even think it has anything to do with the game. It's just I'm terrible at deduction, and I need someone to hold my hand while I'm playing a game like this, and that's just not what's going to happen. So I would I would play it again now that I know what's going on, and maybe I would get more than zero points. But I'll let you talk about this because. I think you had a better experience than me, so go for it. Yeah, I really like this. Um, this is like Alchemist, but not frustrating. <laughs> like, honestly. Uh, no. It totally was. Like, I don't <laughs> like this. I like this so much better than Alchemist. And at first, I went in with kind of a bad attitude because I'm like, oh my gosh, I freaking hate space games. Why is it always about space? So annoying. Um, it could be anything. This game could be anything. It couldn't. Why don't they make it something better? That's what I want to know. However, I really like the way that the game functions um, because unlike Alchemist, there are some logic rules that you're presented with that I think make this absolutely doable, much more doable than I think Alchemist is. That's true. That is nice because the rules are nice. Yes. And so I, I found that really helpful. So once you start kind of getting some information, um, yeah, and admittedly, like at the beginning, I was like, I'm just guessing by putting theories down because you kind of need points. But I ended up winning because um, I found Plan X first. And I felt really good about that. Um, it's not like you just can stumble across which sector it is, but you also have to know what's on either side of it. So you really have to kind of work through and know what's going on with the board um, in order to be successful. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think the app is really smooth. I like that. Um, yeah, and the the deduction logic rules, I think, may make it make it very accessible. And that's why I can't understand why you got zero points. I can't. I, I well. I I wasn't doing any theories either because I was trying to only do a theory when I knew exactly what was going on. And I never got to any of those points until like the very well, end. Well, that's so, also what I don't understand because, yeah, the first one, I guess. But another one I was like pretty sure about. And then another one, a couple, two more I knew for certain. Yeah, I have no idea. I Just not good. But I will agree with you that this is, it gives you some of the same feels as Alchemist. But it's like, I don't know, 10 times lighter for sure. But the thing I like about Alchemist a little bit more is there's like that worker placement board there that you can like make potions and sell stuff to. I enjoy that piece of it because I'm not as big on the deduction. So that's probably why I like the Alchemist a little bit better. And I'm annoyed because like that gets in the way, I think, of doing the actual deduction. And the actual deduction is, is really difficult in that because you don't have rules to follow um, to help you. So I just get annoyed that there's other stuff that you want me to do. But I'm like trying to freaking figure out what stupid colors or what so i i really enjoy this game i would love to play it more i'd like to play it on even harder levels and really challenge and push myself but i have a feeling you will never play it again can i get can i get the level that has like four sectors <laughs> i want to play it again i just want to sit and watch what you do and like try to like figure out why i need you're your doing i need your doing. help i need your help you taught me how to play clue and i know how to play mystery of the abbey i think i'm going to need some help with this one. i i think so i it just i I don't know. And part of it is I've been doing logic puzzle like this since I was a kid. Like this, I used to do this for schoolwork in one of my smart kids classes. Say yeah, I was going to say it. Say your smart kids class. Come on, say it. I did in STP, Glasgow Talented People. Um, we did these like 
every time we, we ha- I went to that class, which is maybe two or three times a week. So we did those and we did analogies. Like, and we're talking like I was in second grade. So starting then, I've been doing these kinds of like logic puzzles and deduction and that kind of thing. Um, so I was just, I was just trying to have food and not die. I know it, it was just ingrained as a part of me. Well, I was also <laughs> trying to, you know, that's true. That's true. Um, but it, th- I think that's why for me, I'm like, what do you mean? You don't understand. And, and I just need to see it to help you because this is just a part of who I am apparently. Yeah. I, I think though, if I played it again, which I would play this again, now that I kind of, I understand what's going on and I need to make some assumptions in my brain. That's not what I'm good at. My brain doesn't I didn't like assume. That. I don't assume. I leave stuff open until I know. Yeah. I. You know what I had open? I had 12 sectors open on my board. So I got zero points. Yeah. But I would play this again. And I think I would just try to just get theories out there and at least maybe score some points. Because the penalty for getting it wrong is not that big a deal, really. Yeah. In the grand scheme I, of things. I, I so agree. I agree. Just throw a bunch of theories down and something will stick. <laughs> I would not recommend that, but... Sure, just get a theory in every sector. You'll get something right. We need to try it. We'll have to try it again so I can help you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm down for that. Yeah, so it's good. I loved it. All right, so the next game is a game that I do understand and know how to play. And um, we played this with our friend Chris a long time ago. And I got a copy in a trade. And this game is called Lucky's Misadventures. And this is a a deck-building game with a really weird, like, Alice in Wonderland meets Wizard of Oz theme with some Steve... Steve Punk, some steampunk drizzled all across the top. For sure. Um, and what you're doing in this game is you are you basically got lost in this t- this place called Oddtopia, and you're trying to escape. And the way that you're doing that is is you're playing a deck building game. You're going to be uh, drawing cards, and you're instead of playing your whole hand though, you're going to be playing three, and you're going to be playing them face down. And there's going to be a couple different phases in this game. There is a buying phase where you're going to be using cards that have money on them to buy other cards. There's going to be a tinkerer phase, which is going to be like a little, I don't know, like it's almost like an auction kind of like whoever plays the most of these certain cards gets to pick some free cards. And then there's a wicked phase, which kind of functions the same way, but a different icon. And you get to take another card from the row. And what you're trying to do is either you need to have the most points at the end of the game, which is like 14 rounds, or you're trying to meet one of these three different win conditions by buying cards, um, building machines, having those in your hand to get out of Autopia. More than likely, the game's going to end and you're going to score points, but the other win conditions are feasible, I think. I've seen people say that they have won that way, but I don't believe it. Um, but this is a really fun deck building game. I like that there's multiple win conditions. I like that there's a couple different rows of cards you can buy. I like that you're not using all of your cards because that makes it a little bit more interesting to me. It's different. And I don't know, the theme and artwork are all really cool and I dig it. So... As far as deck builders go, this is one that I really enjoy because it's funky and it does some different kind of things. So what do you think about Lucky's Misadventures? I like this one a lot. I'm, I've always loved deck builders. Um, and this one is is a little odd. But the artwork is really cool. And just trying to kind of balance, um, like, do I want more of this kind of like tinker stuff? Do I want more of this, like the the magic kind of stuff? Like, what kind of cards am I looking for? Um, Do I want to go for just, like, points? Do I think, like, am I going to jump on an opportunity to make some gadgets that are going to help me get out? Like, I just, again, I like there's so many different ways to go about it. Uh, So it's, like, in some ways a more skilled version of Flux. 
And but yeah, I mean, yeah, the, I but the inconditions don't change. But it's just getting the cards where they need to be at the right time. And I, I, I like that thrown into the deck builder aspect. And again, the artwork is really cool. I just uh, yeah, I think it's a fun little game. I like it. Yeah, this is one that I definitely want to play more because I really want to try to get one of those alternative win conditions because I think that would be awesome. But yeah, this is a, a great deck builder and I want to play it with more people because it's good. Yep. All right. So those are some games that we played. Let's move on. All right. So we are kind of continuing talking about our publishers. We're sort of, I don't want to say we're running out of publishers because we're absolutely not. I just have no idea who publishes any of the games that we have. Um, <laughs> so I feel like we have covered a lot of the publishers that we have a lot of their games. Um, so Jason may be able to find some more because he actually knows publishers. Um, but one that I knew we had several games from uh, was Gray Fox Games because I, we are always at their booth. I'm like, oh, we have all of these games. And they have really interesting, um, s- just different kinds of games. Uh, and so in this episode, we want to talk about our top five, our favorite Gray Fox games. We're going to rank them. And we, Jason and I kind of, uh, in a lot of ways, have some differing ideas about which Gray Fox games we like. <laughs> so, babe, why don't you start? With your number five. All right. So my number five is one that we just recently got in a trade. And it is a dice, die, bleh, dice rolling game where you're fighting off zombies. And this is called Run, Fight, or Die. Um, so basically all this game is, is you're rolling some dice. You're trying to match different symbols on these dice with like guns, uh, baseball bats, running icon, or some other few special icons to defeat zombies that are trying to attack you. Uh, some special icons will give you some um, people that will come alongside you and give you points and help you probably and also hurt you probably. And you're trying to either stay alive longer than everybody else or you're trying to be the first person to get five of these sidekicks in your play area, which good luck. <laughs> this game is uh, brutal. The zombies just are relentless. They just keep attacking. You get like five health points, which is terrible. Yes. And uh, more likely than not, you're going to die. But I like rolling dice you and like matching up die faces and stuff. That That's fun to me. So that's kind of why I put this one on the list. So my number five, run, fight, or die. Yeah, um, this one's just too mean to me for, for me to actually oh, it, like it. It's really mean. It is. Like, at first, I'm like, oh, yeah, this seems great. Like, I was real excited. Like, I've got a special power and I've got these cards. And then I was like, this is the worst thing ever. Uh, part of it is I don't I just don't care about zombies at all. They're not my genre, so it it's okay. I mean me ne- me neither, but the game is fun. It's okay. <laughs> so since that's not my favorite, um I want to talk about my number 5, which I don't think Jason likes this game either, but I really did. And it's called After the Empire. Um which seems like why would you like this game, Katie? I don't know. I think it's crazy, but playing it, so it's worker placement, resource management, basically. So it's set in the Middle Ages. You are going around and using your workers to get resources, kind of help with your buildings, get people to work for you. You also have to be able to have food to pay for your castle defenders. Um, And you're also building up your castle because there's kind of these two um, phases where you're 
doing your worker placement and then your castles are attacked and you have to kind of live through the siege and then repair and help your troops out um, and take care of your fiefdom. I love to build the little castle stuff. Um, yes, at first, I think the kind of attack phase can be a little overwhelming. But once you get it down, it's it's the same every round. Uh, so I don't find it, you know, too difficult. I, I like that I'm putting my turrets up and I don't know. I just, just I like the Middle Ages as a theme in general. That's that's one of my jams. Uh, so I was surprised that I like this kind of like um, castle defense game. But the worker placement aspect, I think, makes it really interesting on how you choose. What do I need to do? What am I going? How can I make the most of these actions? Because you want to do a whole lot, like build up your castle and get your guys to fight, but also you have to feed them. And also you want to like, there's still a lot of stuff you want to do. So making those actions really work for you, getting buildings that'll help you um, like make multiple things happen in one like worker placement spot. I, I like that challenge. So my number five, After the Empire. Yeah, I really like the worker placement part of this game. It's just the other part just felt too brutal. Like I didn't have anything that I could do to defend myself, and I was just getting slapped around. How? Because I had no problem. I had like a whole stinging castle, man. I was probably playing that deduction game and not doing it right. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just remember I really liked the worker placement part of it, and I I didn't like the rest, and I also felt like it was too long. It just seemed like it was never ending. It, it so is I, a, I, I would say it is a bit lengthy. I agree with you on that. But I, di I didn't hate it. It's just not. I'd rather play something else. So my number four is a game that I think Katie would rather play something else. And it is a Martin Wallace game. And it is one I got in a trade. It's a Cthulhu-themed Sherlock Holmes mashup theme. Martin Wallace game called A Studied in, Study in Emerald. And this is a deck-building game, kind of where you're using the cards in your deck to gain control of these different cities with cubes and some of your, um, like, people, meeples, and you're trying to claim the cards. That's how you're claiming the cards, through area majority. Then you're going to be using these cards for, like, they're multi-use cards. You may use them to get other cubes. You may use them to go into a city and blow up something to kill an elder god or assassinate someone, depending on what team you're on, because this is a hidden role team, team game where players are trying to meet the criteria of their team without knowing who's on their team uh, so different teams are going to have different points that they're going to acquire through the game and at the end of the game you can score points for both teams but at the end of the game you're only going to get to keep the points for the side that you're on um, that seems really convoluted and it is kind of convoluted it's hard to teach and hard to explain and kind of hard to play but I've played it a couple of times solo two-handed and I really had a good time and we actually played it one one time at you know four players and I still liked it so my number four a study in Emerald. I wanted to like this so bad. I really did. But it was so awful. And I, th I think we need to try it again now that you know how to play it. <sighs> Do you think I remember how to play it? No. I expect so much from something that's like Sherlock Holmes combined with, you know, like other literature, Lovecraftian. Okay, great. And then I'm like, what is this crap? It, was, it felt like a lot of area control, which I don't like. It just... It is area control, kind of. Majority of it, yeah. Um, not a fan. Not a fan. I, I would give it another try, but I don't really want to. But I will if you make me. I just sneezed and bit my tongue. Like, 
you know, <laughs> that's only something that I would do. My allergies are a mess, guys. That, that's how much you hate that game. You'd rather bite your tongue. I would rather sneeze game. and just bite my tongue. It really hurts. <laughs> I'm sure it does. You got to keep your tongue away from your teeth. <laughs> well, I was trying to like quiet my sneeze since we're recording, and then I just ended up biting inside my mouth instead. Uh, my number four also has a similar setting to a city in Emerald. It's got, you know, there's cultists running around as well, but this is a cooperative um, programming game called London Dread. I really like this game. I want to play it more. I've played the initial scenario many times because Jason can't remember number one. Uh, number two, he can't figure out how to play it. And number three, it's so long between times it takes to the table that we just keep playing the same first scenario. But I would like to go further because this game is really cool. You um, have all these cards at different parts of London and everyone has a player that has some like, kind of special powers. And so you have a time limit where you're flipping over cards to find the basic, the main um, cards that are the plot of the story. But any cards that you turn over, um, you're going to have to resolve during the actual game playing phase itself. Um, and that usually requires some dice rolling or different characters with either their character powers or their ca or cards being able to be at those these locations to resolve them. So then once you've kind of got everything flipped over that you are going to in a certain time period, then you program. Okay, where does everybody need to be? You have this kind of really neat clock. Um, well, our compass, maybe. I Well, no, it's a clock. It's a clock, yeah. Where you need to be at different times. Um, where you're going around the city to kind of help defeat as much as you can until you get to kind of a final showdown with some cultists or whatever. There's like this epic overarching story that I've only ever <laughs> gotten to hear the first part of. But it also has a really cool companion app that has like creepy music and creepy reading. And I really like that too. I just, I, I really, I, I like that I do this game. I like a cooperative game where like this game really lends to keeping away quarterbacking because you've got to like try and figure out where you can volunteer, where you can go one person can't just take over like it's just not going to happen um, because of kind of the intricacies and complexities of getting to all these different places and programming it out so i really enjoy it my number four london dread yeah i like i said before i think i like this game i i want to like it it looks amazing it's a cool theme it's interesting mechanisms i just yeah i, I don't know i need to play it again play that first mission again <laughs> see what happens oh my gosh <laughs> All right, so my number three is another cooperative game. And this is, I really like this. It's not super hard like London Dread. It's a, a more welcoming cooperative game that's feasible to pass. And this is called Rising Five, The Runes of Asteros. That also happens to be my number three. Hey, how about that? Looks like we planned it. Kismet. <laughs> and this is a, a cooperative game where you're not really taking on the role of one character. Any On any of your turns, you can move around any character that you want. The, the, the tricky part here is you have to have the cards in your hand to move that character around. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to get to these different locations to defeat monsters. So you can op open these portals, which will ultimately let you move some runes around to get them in certain positions to win the game. It's kind of like, Katie hasn't played Mastermind, but it's kind of like the old Mastermind game, but with an app and a board game attached to it. Um, it and uh, you can do the runes without an app, but it's way easier with an app. You just plug stuff in, hit the button, and it tells you if you're right or you're wrong. It gives you some clues as to 
you know, the top one is right, the bottom one's right, the one on the left and the right are wrong. Um, and it, it's it's a fun game. It's it, it's not easy. It's not like the easiest game in the world, but it's fun and I like it. So my number three. Rising Five Runes of Astros. I like it a lot too. I like that there's the, all these characters, but you don't have one specific character. You can use your cards to move any of the characters. Um, the app is really cool. Um, I just I like that ability to really freely talk, um, move things around, and hope that you can kind of defeat these different things to open these portals. Um, for me, this has that really nice kind of in between quality of being difficult but not being punishing. So yeah, yeah. Number three. That's why I like it. That's why it's my my three. All right. So my number two is um, one. This might have been one of our first ones. I can't remember, but I really like this one. It's another dice rolling game, and this is called Order of the Gilded Compass. And this is a re-implementation of a game called Alia Iacta Est uh, that has like a Roman theme. This has an Egyptian theme, an Egyptian Egyptian archaeological theme. And what you're trying to do in this is effectively you're rolling, you have a handful of dice. I don't know, like 10, 15 dice. And on your turn, you're going to be rolling those dice. And you have to assign at least one die to one of these different, like, five locations. And each of these locations are going to give you some kind of reward that's going to be worth points. There's going to be maybe um, some artifacts that you're finding. There's going to be maybe some archaeologists and dig sites that you're going to be acquiring and matching up the score pile of points. There may be some hidden treasure that you're going down to get some some points for but the way that the other locations work it's some different kind of like die combination so you may need like a three of a kind a four of a kind a one two three uh, every die has to be one higher than the one before it or something like that and then you're going to see who has the best die faces on there they're going to get first pick and all that kind of thing and you're going to play over like four or five rounds and over the points of the winner that's it a yahtzee style like set collection game with pretty nice art and I really like it. So my number three, two, Order of the Gilded Compass. Yeah, I, I like this game. Um, it's just really simplistic. It is very Yahtzee style. So it is nice to pull out and play with people um, that don't play a lot of games. But it, it's just not one of my first choices, I guess. I like the other stuff better. Including my number two pick, which is a classic and um, there are lots of games in this kind of universe, but I I think this one's my favorite. No, I'm just, I've confused two again. There are, okay, so all the Shem Phillips games I feel like are kind of like this game in a lot of ways, but this is my favorite, and that's Champions of Midgard. Um, we have the everything everything for this game, and with the Valhalla expansion and the play mat like this game is boss like absolutely um again the, the reason why i like this game is because you can go in so many different ways to score points so it is viking based you can fight trolls in the mountains you can fight um like sea monsters so you can sail out there um you gotta collect food to feed your warriors if your warriors die in glorious battle you can get cool stuff from valhalla you can get like in-game kind of scoring things these runes um just lots of cool stuff to do in this game. Lots of awesome bits. There's dice rolling and worker placement and battling and resource management. Just all, all the good yummy stuff about board games is thrown into Champions of Midgard. And I, I really like it. 
every time we bring it out after it's been gone for a while, I'm like, yeah, this game is freaking good. And it is. So that's why it's my number two, Champions of Midgard. And that's why it's my number one, Champions of Midgard. I mean, that was the first one I wrote down on the list because, I mean, when I think of Gray Fox, I think Champions of Midgard. And I love worker placement. I love rolling dice. We've gone over that a couple times already. And this has both of those things. That's all it is. Worker placement, rolling dice, <laughs> trying to defeat monsters, collect goods, food to feed your people, all that kind of thing. Oh, man. So good. Um, yeah. I probably won't play it without Valhalla because it gives you a purpose. Because when you your dice die without that, it feels very unsatisfying. But when your dice die with that, you you know you're at least going to get some kind of reward when so many people die. So it's not a complete waste. But Yeah, it yeah, mitigates great. some of that like roll to resolve fighting stuff. Right, yeah, because that can be brutal. Like, it's really brutal when you've worked, you know, three turns to get, you know, eight dice or six dice, however many you can have, and then in one turn, they're all gone. Like, <laughs> with no no reward for it, that's terrible. But, yeah, aside from that, this game is fantastic. I love it, um, and now I want to play it. So, yeah, <laughs> my number one, Champions of Midgard. Yeah, I was thinking that, too. I'm like, man, we need to get this one out. However, as much as I do like it, it is not my number one. And based on all the conversations we've had up till now, my number one is because I like deduction. And I also like social deduction because I like to read people and manipulate their minds. So my number one is Deception Murder in Hong Kong. I like this game. Um, I would say it's like a party game because it's really great with lots of people. Um, everyone has different parts that they play. Um like you can have witnesses, you can have the murderer, you can have the accomplice. Um, someone is the forensic scientist. I think that's right. Yeah, or forensic investigator. Yeah, something so, like I that. Don't know. Um, that lays down, you know, clues. I like to be that part because I like to run the show. No surprise there. Um, but I like that idea of you've got these cards in front of you. Someone's giving you clues in a mysterious kind of way where they're a little bit obscure and you're trying to work it out. You're watching other people. You're seeing what they have, their reactions. You're trying to puzzle out what these things could mean together, but yet also individually. Um, I think we have expansion for this. I don't know if we've even played with. It's very we, have, we, we have not played with it yet. Very upsetting to me, but it's because you don't want to play it like ever. Um <laughs> It's true, yeah. But I, I love it. It's I think it's a great game. I wish I had the chance to play it more. That's why it's my number one deception murder in Hong Kong. Yeah, I don't I don't hate this game as far as like social deduction games go and like the game happening with the players around the table. This one does it the best. Like this one and Secret Hitler are probably my two favorites. Uh, I just it it takes a lot for me to want to play one of those games, so that's why we don't play it a lot. All right, we have a couple games that we actually have in our collection from Gray Fox that didn't quite make the top five. And, I mean, somebody has to not make the cut. It's just the way it goes. <laughs> so uh, the first game that that didn't make the cut is a game called Seven Ronin. And this is a two-player-only game where one person is taking on the ninja role and one person is taking on the samurai role. And the samurais are trying to defend this village from the ninjas. And the ninjas are trying to come in and take over as many areas of these... Um, or maybe it's vice versa. One person's trying to defend the village. Another person's trying to take over the village. And whoever can do that the most effectively is the winner. If the ninjas kill all the samurais, the ninja wins. If the samurai can kill the ninjas and defend some territories, then they'll win. And I think there's a win condition if somebody takes over a certain amount of the village. 
it, you're doing this like program movement behind the board that's really neat and both players play very differently it's cool it's just the rules are kind of clunky and it seems like it's not going to be as hard as it is but it's a pretty hard game which is why it didn't make my list it is hard but it's good yeah and i i did play it not that long ago with brandon and man it took a minute to teach because it's for being a little two-player game it's a beast it is and the next game we have on the list is a game that I don't think you've played, I but not. it was sent to us for review, and it's called Zoned Out. We have this game? We did. I oh. think I traded it. Yeah, I traded it. Uh, but this is a game effectively about building up these different zones of a city to certain heights of certain color buildings and certain patterns to score a pile of points. That's all it is. It's a, a city building like game that is weird. It has really weird like neon colors and... Um, yeah, it's fine. It's just not a game that I really dug, so I didn't make you play it. Thanks. So those are two that didn't, didn't quite make the list. Not bad games. Seven Run is great. Zoned Out is fine. It's just not our jam. But, yeah, uh, two honorable mentions. Yeah, I mean, we've covered most of Gray Fox games, so uh, let us know which ones you also like. Do you agree with our ranking? Are we crazy? I mean, sure, but about these games, I don't know. Um, so let us know. And even if you don't want to talk about Grave Fox games, we love to hear from you guys, love to interact with you on social media. Um, we've got blog posts and um, YouTube videos, and we've got a Discord channel, all kinds of things. So be sure to check it, check it all out. Um, BGMechanics.com has everything there. Um, but you're welcome to hit us up on Facebook. Um Instagram, Twitter, all those things. We just love to really interact with you guys, hear about new games, what you're watching, what you're playing, what you know, you're know you watching for, looking forward to, what you're finding out, because um, we obviously aren't the uh, end-all, be-all of <laughs> game news or what's out there. And so we like to hear from you guys a lot. Yes, we are. We know everything about everything game-related. Oh, really? That's interesting. I will openly admit that I don't. I barely know who any publishers are. I mean, I just say that. I like to make sweeping declarations that I don't even know if that's true or not, but it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we get too far involved, I say we wrap this up for this episode. I've been Katie. And I'm Jason. Keep gaming, everybody. Keep gaming.